church. I, I'm going to start off with just a, a little conversation. I got this idea actually from Francis Chan. Who, how many are familiar with Francis Chan? He's a mega church pastor and popular writer who's recently made some rather radical changes in his life and the life of his church. He quit as a mega church pastor and started leading a, a series of small churches, small groups really, that act as little house churches. Uh, I think about 30 of them. It's a fascinating story. Just Google Francis Chan and church and read about it. Uh, there's a lot there. But he did this thing on YouTube that... Um, I just saw yesterday after I'd finished my sermon, actually, and I thought, that might be a good idea. And he said, um, he asked uh, people, he said, if you had to describe church, what church means, strictly on the basis of, of the Bible and nothing else, not on our culture, North America, just the, church, just the Bible, and how you define church, what would be some of the salient definitions that would come to mind? How, how would you describe church, biblically speaking? You know, what the church... Uh, should be or should look like. And I thought that's an interesting exercise. It's interesting for me to think about, about, in the American sense. Um, so I, I submit that to you. Uh, if you were to define the church, in, all you had was the Bible to, to go from, and that this is what the church should be and what the church should look like, what, what are some of the things you would say? There's no one right answer here. Church starts with you inside. Church starts with you inside, so a sense of, of, of belonging. Okay. Holy Spirit. I need more than two words, guys. Give me a sentence. <laughs> it just uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I guess. So you'd say the, 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 where the Holy Spirit indwells is right. the church. Right. Body of believers. I'm going to have to have raised hands, I'm afraid. Uh, Jim and then Melanie. Body of believers that uh, meet together to uh, worship, praise uh, God, and support each other in living a Christian lifestyle. Okay, it's a, that was a lot there, but worship and praising God, body believers together in, 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 a, in a room or wherever you may, where it may be. be wherever. wherever, yes. Church is undefined by the building. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> uh, Melanie. Yeah, a group of people seeking the Lord together. A group of people seeking the Lord together. Elizabeth agrees. Oh, no, you. Yeah, yeah. Extra credit for quoting the Bible. Very good. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, wherever two or more gather in my name, there I will be also. That's a good definition of the church, as any. Called out ones. The called out ones. That's getting down to the Greek, the kaleo. Yes. Now we're really looking for brownie points. <laughs> the, yeah, that's the, the, we get the term church, ecclesia, from the verb at root, called out, called together. That's way more than I knew. I just knew that line. Oh, well, I'm just showing off now. <laughs> Let me tell you other Greek words I know. So, uh, yeah, that's, those are all good answers. So I'm going to start off with a story. And, and the, the sermon is basically um, the essence and the theme and the core of the sermon is how I am worried that we are going to fail as a church, how I'm, how I'm worried that we may indeed be failing as a church. So it's not a, not a light thing, and, and uh, it's something that's been growing on me. And it's, it really is, when I say we, I really do mean we, you and me together. It, um, so, but uh, as it says in Proverbs, uh, better is open rebuke than hidden love, and wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So if you take any wounds away, know that I am your friend, <laughs> and I won't kiss you. Um, so those are things that are true. 
So I'll start with a story that I've written out, and then we'll get into some of the conversations of my concerns. So many moons ago, getting to be quite a number of moons ago now, roughly around the age of 18 or 19, I became a Christian. I gave my life to Jesus as a young man, out of a sort of a combination out of desperation and out of genuine love for who God was, God's character, holiness. I was really attracted to holiness and didn't see much of it in me. That's a longer story. But I knew deep in my heart, as I know now, that I would find nothing in the world as beautiful and as awe-inspiring as Jesus Christ and the story of Jesus Christ and what he taught and what he modeled and who he was. And I knew that for me to turn my back on that story and to turn my back on Christ was in some sense to turn my back on myself, or at least to turn my back on love in its most radical sense and instead to embrace self-satisfaction, self-desire. And so I gave my life to Christ. Now, just because I gave my life to Christ, as you know, doesn't mean all of a sudden you're, you're uh, perfectly, transcendently uh, full of the Holy Spirit. And there is a process of uh, being sanctified. So my idols were still very much in my heart. One of my idols, it's hard to say out loud now even, but one of my idols was to go to California and play in a rock band. So I took my 1979 Ford Econoline van and I drove uh, from here, Urbana, to uh, Santa Rosa, California. I didn't think Jesus would mind. I didn't really ask, just didn't think he'd mind. I was new to this Christian relationship thing. And things went poorly there, very poorly. I made so many stupid decisions in such a short amount of time that it really boggles my mind uh, that things didn't go worse for me, that I came out of there alive and without diseases. It was a difficult time. But things went marvelously well in the sense that I really was dancing among the minefields, if you're familiar with the metaphor, and I didn't step on a mine. I did get out of there alive. In that sense, things went better than I had a right to expect. One time I even flirted with homelessness there, but that's a long story. Each time God made a way for me, and I knew it was God. That was one of the changes in me. I knew that God was making a way for me. And I was always surprised by it. <laughs> you know, I still am surprised by it. Uh, anyway, I was paying attention. My first week in California, I moved into a ranch of sorts in the middle of a suburb. It was a very odd place, uh, somewhat dangerous. My mother was there uh, living with a psychotic sociopath, which she would describe him in the same way as well. It was not a safe place to be for either of us. I, I am impressed we both made it out of there alive. And so that was my first week there. And there was a church just down the road, maybe three or four blocks down the road in this suburb. I'd never been to any other church ever, not counting the one I was saved in, which is New Covenant Fellowship in, in Champaign. Um, I, I'd been to Unitarian churches, but that, that's not quite the same thing as a Christian worship service. That's the only church I'd ever been to. So I decided to go to church there that Sunday morning. And it was a beautiful, sunny, Californian morning. I didn't know what to expect. Of course, I was a new believer. But it was a church, and I knew it was full of followers of Jesus. And I was now a follower of Jesus. And I was excited to hear what the preacher had to say. I was frightened at that time and really hungry 
for a word from the Lord. I wanted to hear what God would speak to my heart. You get hungry after a while. And I was excited to think of new brothers and sisters in Christ. I really was. I was excited to expand my, my, my family in that regard. You can imagine my shock that's coming up. <laughs> the church was beautiful, but cold, sort of antiseptic and not very warm, but it was beautiful. I remember the congregants, you know, they sat in the pews. They had pews there, and they were all dressed impeccably. I don't remember what denomination it was. I think it was a denominational church of some sort. Um, I remember thinking everybody seemed a little stony-faced, a little just, you know, a lot of that, looking around. Not a lot of smiles. And I sat down in a pew alone, and I was nervous at this point, uncomfortable, but I was not, you know, despairing. I kept reminding myself this is a different state, a different city, a different culture, and a different church, and I don't really know anything about these people or anything about this church. I just need to, you know, be cool, Seth. Then <laughs> um, the pastor got up there and started his sermon, and uh, he was angry. It was an angry sermon. But he wasn't angry at sin. He wasn't angry about a broken, despairing world that we've all played a part in. He was angry, and I mean angry, because some people in the church had complained to the elders or whoever there was that he preached too loudly and it was hurting people's ears. That was uh, the gist of the sermon, and he was preaching very loudly. <laughs> and he was livid about this. Uh, his whole sermon was about how he a man of God and preacher of the word, would not preach one iota quieter, ever, and to hell with anyone who had a problem with it. And yes, he used the word. <laughs> he would yell it from the rafters, and indeed he was yelling it. Um, it was too loud. It was grating. I thought, is there someone I can complain to about this? Um, and, you know, I, of course, immediately my anxiety tripled, quadrupled. I just, I was like, ah! You know, Ron Baker... Preaches so quietly you can barely hear him. Uh, Ron Simpkins, sorry, not Ron Baker. Well, Ron Baker probably would preach quietly too. Um, Ron Simpkins, the pastor of my old church. So I, I, I was just, uh, you know, it'd be like one of those roller coaster pictures you take. I was uh, uh, like, I did not know what was going on. I was looking around and people were just, again, I mean, it was just sort of stony faced. I don't know what his whole sermon was on. About 10 minutes into the sermon, someone came and tapped me on the shoulder. And uh, I thought they were going to tell me you have to leave. At this point, I didn't know what, I just, I had no idea. But they said, they told me I, I needed to go to the youth group room. Now, I was uh, 19 years old. I looked young. They probably thought I was a high schooler. Um, I don't get that anymore, but I used to. <laughs> um, and anyway, I was happy to leave. I was like, yes, I'm 16. Where's the youth group room? So I went there, and there were maybe, I don't know, there weren't many kids, maybe six or seven kids there. Just as miserable as the adults, there was a young lady teaching the Bible study, and she looked just as miserable as the kids. And everybody was just so unhappy. And, and I don't remember, that's where my memory stops. I don't remember even how I got out of there. It's like a horror movie. I, I don't know how I got out of there, but I did. I escaped out of there. That's, I don't remember going home or anything. But that was my first experience of church out, outside of the church that I, I was saved in. Now, I know, I know especially now as a pastor, lots of mitigating factors go into that. That might have been a particularly terrible Sunday for that church. It might have been a particularly, they might have been going through some really hard stuff, and maybe ordinarily they're very warm and welcoming people. 
I kind of doubt it, but you know, that I, I, I really don't know. I know churches can go through really hard stuff, and then when visitors come in, it's you know, get me out of here in a hurry. Uh, so I, I recognize that. Um, the older I get, the more grace I'm willing to give churches as a whole and people in general. But there was one thing, I left that church with a knowledge that I didn't have before. That it was possible, I didn't even know it was possible for it, it was possible for people to, to, to mouth the truths, say the prayers, have the Bibles, call themselves Christians, and have the Holy Spirit be completely absent from the whole kit and caboodle. That it just be a place of, of, of death, at least for me, on that Sunday morning. And I, I hadn't experienced that until that point. Uh, that I had, I didn't. Here I was, someone who really needed Christian community and wisdom and and love, and boy, I just it was more like a kick in the pants. I had experienced church in that narrow sense in that Sunday morning. I'd experienced it as as kind of the whitewashed tomb that Jesus talks about, as kind of a a whitewashed shell that looks good on the outside, and on the inside, it's just a lot of death, or at least not life. And it really was scary to me. I mean, I remember. Being like, this is a little freaky, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I got kind of weirded out by the whole thing. Sort of in a Stanley Kubrick, Alfred Hitchcock kind of way. I would have been, I genuinely would have been much more comfortable at an atheist convention. With people shouting uh, insults about God. Well, because that's my background. My history. I just would have been more comfortable. There. I would have been like, no, he's real! And it would have been a great fight. And, uh, but this was just something uh, bizarre. Yes, thank you. So I understood that Sunday far better, the disgust of God, and I think that's the good term to use in this particular instance, with, with a lukewarm faith, a, a lifeless faith, not deeply enamored of God, nor completely rejecting him, just kind of accepting the trappings of faith and not putting much life into it, how dangerous that can be, how toxic. I get that. I got that then. I understood that. I was like, wow. Not every place is a safe place for me just because I have a cross on, on, on the building. And I mean safe in the sense of, of love. I don't mean Churches are never safe places. But at the very least, the Holy Spirit should be present and people should love you regardless. So, Cornerstone, this church, in the seven years that we've existed, has never been, well, I hope no one has ever, I've never conceived of this place or felt or been worried that this is a whitewashed tomb, a place of, you know, that looks good on the outside, has death on the, if anything, we flip those. We have a kind of a sad-looking little building, and uh, there's a lot of love and, and joy on the inside. So I don't, I, I think the spirit is present. Uh, and, and, and uh, yeah, so that, I don't tell that story to be like, and that's us, and we should repent. No. But there is something there, a kernel of something there, that I do want to talk about. It's a burden that I've been carrying, um, you know, a message for the church, for God's people, that I've been kind of reluctant to speak, uh, reluctant to, to give, because uh, um, I wasn't sure how to speak it. And plus, I'm a little conflict avoidance. So, you know, those two things together. But I, I felt like I could no longer, I felt like I had to speak this word and, and say it directly and as candidly as possible, because I don't believe it's my word to you. I do not believe it's my word to you. I believe it's God's word to us. God's word to us altogether, not my word to you. And the sense I've had, the burden I've been, I've been carrying, is that I feel like we're in danger. There's, there's a, 
a pit at our feet that we may not see, that we might walk into, that we may fail as a church, that if we're not careful and if we don't pay attention and, and more attention to ourselves and to the, the Holy Spirit, uh, where the Holy Spirit is, is leading. And hence, I, I want to speak about that and, and think about that with you. In the book of Revelation, Jesus speaks to his churches uh, throughout Asia Minor, seven churches in all. And to most of them, he starts off speaking words of encouragement and praise. He says, you've done this well. You've kept this aspect of the faith. You've held up under this pressure. A lot of positive words from Jesus to his churches. And then there's always this word, but. (laughs) But, and it says, nevertheless, I have this against you. But nevertheless, I have this against you. There's seven churches, five of them get the, but I have nevertheless this against you, along with other things, good things. One church, it's just all bad. One church doesn't even get the praise, Laodicea. Don't want to be in the church of Laodicea. <laughs> One church just gets praised and says, you have fought the good fight and you are doing well and um, your reward is here. And that's the church that everybody know. Which church is that? City of Brotherly Love. Philadelphia, the church in Philadelphia. I want to be the Philadelphia church. Now the good news, and it really is good news, is that, you, that those passages in Revelation show us we really can be the church in Philadelphia. God really can say to your church, just like he can say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. doesn't mean there's not sin in your church or anything like that. It doesn't mean you're perfect. But it does mean that you have fought the good fight and run the race and have been faithful to God. We can do that. Uh, um, don't get so caught up in the personally or ecclesiologically with the sense of original sin that you, you start to get the sense you can't please God. That is a dangerous place for uh, Christians to be in any regard. We can please God, even with, with our sin and our narcissism and all the things that we have. So, I, my message to you is the Ephesus message from the book of Revelation. And I think this is the burden I'm carrying. And I'll unpack this a little bit. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked people. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered, and you have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. Now, the reason I would say we are somewhat of an Ephesus church is because I know a lot of you. We're a small church, and I know a lot of you very well. I know what you do. I know your acts, and I know your... um, I know you. I have a sense. And I know that as a church, individually, most of you are, are truly like this. You have deeds. You have perseverance. You work out, you do beautiful and self-sacrificial things in your lives that are inspiring to me. Acts of faith and acts of love. And that is true. And we do have a sense of the importance of truth in our congregation, the importance of testing the Spirit, the importance of of, of, of wanting to really follow God, not in a way that's necessarily always comfortable, but at least is true to how we understand the Bible as best as we can understand the Bible and to make sacrifices in that regard. And so that 
I think this, this, this resonates with me in terms of the church. Not that we do any of this perfectly. I want to be clear about that. <laughs> but that this is a strength, I would say. Yet I hold this against you. There's that, well, I translate yet here, but whatever. But, but I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent. Do the things you did at first. And if you don't repent, well, trouble. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I can agree to do that. Can we all just hate the Nicolaitans together? Good. We've got that covered. We don't allow Nicolaitans in here. Um, I, I, if I was doing a sermon on this, way, we could talk about some of this in more detail, but I don't, I'm not really doing a sermon on this passage. I'm just using this as a jumping point for what I think God is telling me to tell you. Um, so, this, this I hold against you, this clause thing that I feel burdened to speak this morning, has to do with love. Love is where we are failing. Now, if I had 30 more minutes, I would make this leap, but I can't make it A, B, plus C. I'm just going to make it, and if anybody wants to talk to me about it later, that's fine. But the love I think we're lacking is the passion to reach people who don't know Christ, who don't know God. I feel like that is where our love is lukewarm, that that is where our passion is not what it ought to be at. And I really am using the term our. <laughs> In fact, I, I think... I. I mean, to some degree, the pastor does frame the passion of the church. Not that I'm responsible for it, but there's a, there's a certain framework by which the preaching and the teaching has some a spark that can ignite or, or a lack of a spark that might just leave something damp. So I, I, I take my culpability here, but I hope you take yours as well, uh, wherever you might be in that. And it may not be for all of you. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking corporately here, and that's always difficult to do. But I do think... As a body, as a church, we have exhibited recently, or maybe even since the beginning, uh, a lack of passion in this regard. And I I want to address that head on, lest we fail as a church. And believe me, when I say fail, I don't mean fall apart and just not exist. We could grow, we could be six, seven times as big as we are right now and be failing completely as a church. I'm not talking about failure in the sense of whether the church lasts or we get a building or not. I mean, any of that stuff. I'm talking about doing God's will. You know, and it's, it's intriguing to me because when I thought about this, okay, so all this came together in my mind and heart over, over the course of a long time, but some of it hit me with this Francis Chan stuff. I've had a lot of different threads coming through. And when I think of church, when I think of what church is, I too think of the things that many of you said, which were true things, and things that I agree with and preach on frequently. But a, a, uh, a defining aspect of the church, a, a core ethos principle of the church, uh, of the Holy Spirit, is to reach people. And we don't mention that. We don't typically. That the church is a place that ought to, to, to reach out to people. That it is inherently a mission field. And it's troubling to me that I especially don't carry that within me as someone who was saved through a church. I mean, there was 
families involved, Bill and Jane Sutton in particular, but without the church, I don't know that I ever would have found Christ. And that takes a body of believers. That takes a group of people. My first serious theological discussion was with Ed Jones, who now is in Texas. <laughs> I know, I became a Christian anyway. <laughs> but it takes a body. You know, actually there's a fascinating... Well, don't have time. <laughs> Focus. But it, we need to have that passion to reach people who don't know Jesus because that is the apex of love. That is the apex. Of, that is why we do everything else that we do. There's not... You couldn't... You know, when I was a teenager, I was quite poor, and I waited tables, and I didn't have any money, and I needed, I had so many needs, <laughs> emotional and financial, I had a lot of needs. The church could have met every one of those needs through an outreach or through all that and left me as cold and as lost as I had been before they gave me all that money stuff or what have you. We don't fulfill people's needs because, I mean, we're all going to die anyway. <laughs> I mean, it's, we're not trying to, we're trying to show people the love of God for them. And that this is, is a, this is a sign of God's love for you. And then, if you can take that in, as a, as a human being, as a broken, sinful person like me, if you can understand the depth of God's love for you and give your life to God, that is the greatest gift that any church can give you, any person can give you. And that's the apex of love. And, you know, we, I, I don't think we're really there. We don't have God's heart to that degree. And there are different signs that I've had of that from that and different things that I've seen that make me think that in me and in you. And that worries me and that concerns me. We're, we're approaching the end of the Gospel of Luke. Um, and, you know, the end of all... Okay, well, not Mark. Mark doesn't have an end. <laughs> but Matthew, Matthew, Luke, and John, the end of all three of those Gospels is an ending about the church you know, that go out and make disciples of the nations. Or in John, it's feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And the story in John 2 of the, the, the fish, remember that... And Jesus says to them, calling from the shore... I'm, okay, I'm, I'm free, free, I don't know what's going to happen here. I'll just go with me. But Jesus says, calling from the shore, um, he says, have you caught anything? This is in the Gospel of John, at the end of the Gospel of John. And they say, no. And we can say as a church, no. I can say as a pastor, I haven't caught anything. I really don't think I've, I've led anyone to Christ in all the years I've preached. That's a, that concerns me. That really concerns me. But we have to come clean first. We have to repent, as it says in the passage. Repent. Something's amiss. I worry it might be in me. I think some of it might be in you. <laughs> they say no. And he says, well throw the net over there, and you know what happens. They, they haul in a, a, such a load, they don't know what to do with it. And then he says, you know, he reinstates Peter, you know, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. It's the, this, is all church, this is all church language. This isn't really about sheep and fish. In case any of you are going out to buy some fish tonight, well, the pastor said. This is all about the church. This is all church language. This is what we are to be and who we are supposed to be about. There is no greater love than that. All the Gospels end with that, except for Mark, which ends with them being afraid because they can't find the body of Jesus. But that's another story entirely. So I, that's, that's what I wanted to say. That's all I wanted to say. And the reason that's all I wanted to say is because I know better now. <laughs> I've now been a pastor long enough to know better than now to create a program to fix the problem. 
which my first few years in ministry, I would have had a program. We're going to start a small groups thing. We are going to start reaching out to the community with, well, we have flyers. It's going to be great. We have a special worship team for outreach, and it's going to be awesome. And I don't believe in any of that stuff anymore. I believe in the leading of the Holy Spirit and following his will. And that's where things happen. Because things have happened in the church, good things. When I, you know, I don't want to imply that nothing good or of the Holy Spirit, we've had healings, we've had people's faith strengthened profoundly within this church. We've had, so I, I don't want to, to say, I don't want to say something that's untrue or to, to say that, this, that I'm in some degree chiding anyone. It's just a message from the Holy Spirit that we have to do better at this at love. And I don't have an answer as to how. And I'm quite all right with not having an answer as to how. But I, what I'm asking you to do, because I'm going to do it, is to start praying about the how and to, have, to open our hearts a little bit to that leading of the Spirit. Because it's going to look different, differently anyway for each of us. We're not, it, for each of us, this is going to have a different look, a different feel, a different flavor. But if we're all together, if we are of one mind and one spirit to say, you know what, we do want to throw the net over the side of the boat and reach people in love, with truth and love. And that's what we want. And we, we confess that we haven't been the best at that. And we confess that maybe our community is, we, we struggle sometimes to, to, to love people just because we're so, we're so busy and we're so, we lead such disparate, disparate, not desperate, such separated lives. And we have our jobs and our, our families. And I mean, this is all ringing my bell. This is, this is me. <laughs> this is my life. It's very difficult. But we have to have the passion for the church. And the church isn't being the church if we're not reaching out to people and make, saying, this can be your family too. And this can, be where, this can be where you find the love that you need and where you can find the truths that you need to hear. And we will embrace that. And we will make sacrifices for that to happen. Real, genuine, true sacrifices. Not like I bought you a cup of coffee. Ain't that great. But like, you know. And you guys are great. This is going to sound like I'm blowing smoke now, but it's really true. You guys are really great at sacrifices, generally speaking. I know you, and I know your hearts. So let's not neglect our first love and not neglect that aspect of the church that is so vital that each gospel ends with it. I mean, that. that in fact, Luke doesn't even stop writing. He goes out and writes the book of Acts. <laughs> which is all about that. It's, that's it. That's building up the church and, and reaching out to people. Um, and I, for my part, as a pastor, as a preacher, will start to pray for God, I should say. I will pray for the Holy Spirit to change my view of what church is, such that the passion is not so much just about worshiping together, praying together, Loving one another, which is vital, of course. Communion and all the things that are really important to me about church. But that in that mix would also be a sense of how can we reach the people in this community or the people who don't know Jesus? How can we make that part of our passion? If it's part of our passion, it will happen. I, I really believe that. But we have to be out there in the boat fishing in the first place or they wouldn't catch anything. Okay, I think that's pretty much, I think I'm going to end there. And, uh...
I don't want to steal time from the worship pastor. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I am grateful that you don't let us stay comfortable, but that you keep moving us more into your heart and more into your kingdom. Lord, I, I pray that you would form Cornerstone to be a place where people come and see you and experience you. And Lord, let's not take for granted your spirit here. Let us remember what a space this is. And Lord, I'm thinking now last week of the Muslim woman who was in our midst. She came with great courage to a Christian church. And she came up to me after the service and she had tears in her eyes and she said it was beautiful. And I pray that she experienced your spirit, Lord. Lord, teach us what it means to be the church in the fullness of the word. May more people come with tears in their eyes because they experienced your grace and your forgiveness through our community, Lord, through your love. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.